Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pimples Podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go, indeed. That's the Johnny McKegg Band, and this is the Piffles Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Steve. And I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, keep them lowered so we don't have to oh. see them, I think, right? This is already off to a rocking start. Uh, <laughs> we're uh, doing our first show for YouTube this time. We uh, uh, found out this new thing is called youtube there's this new thing out and uh, we're gonna try it out we'll see how it works um so welcome to those of us watching on youtube uh, this is your saskatchewan rough riders fan podcast the piffles podcast you can give us a follow on twitter at piffles pod you can give me a follow as you see at real alex d you can find me at Safamod. and as always i do not need nor want your pity follows i will take your pity subscriptions though at greg on sports yeah, make sure you hit the subscription button on the YouTubes um, and uh, never miss anything Riders related here with the Piffles podcast. Piffles podcast. Boomer, it's a subscribe button. It's a subscribe button, not a subscription button, you old man. Shut up, Steve. Piffles podcast is brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. It's beautiful. It's summer now officially, so make sure you head out there and hit DQ, especially before the next home game here on July 6th. Let's get to the opening kickoff. Uh, of course, presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. We got to talk about this Riders-Bombers game first off. I've got buttons now, and I forgot to press them. And you hit it twice. I hit I hit loop. That's why <laughs> I hit loop. This is why the first one isn't live, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, riders, Bombers, home opener for the Riders. Losing 45-27, dropping the record to 1-1. One and one. That score flatters the Bombers. It was actually a really close game all the way through. The Riders were leading in the fourth quarter, and then it all just kind of fell apart. But it was a great game. Um, we're going to get into you know, certain things here in a little bit, but just overall guys, what did, what was your biggest takeaways from that game? Ever the Harris riders are then Bowley by Mitchell. That's the big that one for me. Uh, yeah, I think I'm just happy Montreal had a ownership issue because I really don't know who we would have ended up with if it wasn't for that problem. Cody Fajardo would probably still be here. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how efficient an offense can be with a guy that commands the pocket like that. Um, it sucks. We were on the losing end, but I think this is most confident anyone's ever been on an 18 point loss. We've seen a lot of 18 point losses in our rider fandom, and this is the most optimistic I've ever seen fans. And it does start where you guys said with Trevor Harris, um, throwing for over 400 yards. We had no idea if he was even going to play in this game. And it comes out and lights it up on on the stat sheet and the scoreboard. I mean, we're not used to seeing the riders score that many points at home 
uh, at least over the last couple of seasons. Um, he's a warrior. Dude is is unreal. And if that's the kind of performance, the heart that he's going to give us all the time, we're laughing at quarterback position. I'm not concerned about the offense one bit with Trevor Harris under center. Can we just give a huge shout out to Craig Dickinson? Apparently it came out that he was playing all along. There was never a question that Trevor Harris was playing that game. This was him trying to make, trying to play the mind games that, you know, we've, we've wanted to see forever. He's always been so specific. And this time he's just, nope, we don't know who's playing. We don't know what's going on. Make him prepare for both. And in an episode where I'm sure we're not going to be fully Craig Dickinson positive, I'll give him props on that one. His good moves ended at kickoff, but there were one. Was one. Well, well, you're correct. It ended at kickoff because everyone knows the good magician doesn't reveal his secrets. Why he went out and after the game going, oh, yeah, we knew the entire time. Well, now you kind of gave up the game on that. I, I don't know why he decided to do that. I don't care. I liked it. Our our little Craig is growing up, and there was a little tear to my eyes when uh, when that all came out. And I'm like, he's learning. He's learning. You don't have to give the media everything. As much as we want to hear everything, we don't need to know everything. Um, especially as as fans, media especially, they don't need to know everything. Um, who then relay it to us. Um, but Trevor Harris throws for over 400 yards. Let's talk about the offense here and, and just how great it was to see three guys step up, not just one, not just two. We're going to get into LeBron territory, not three, not four, but seeing guys like Sean Bain, Jr. Tevin Jones, Sam Emelis, all having huge breakout games of those three guys, which one was the biggest, uh, one for you? I've been tooting the horn for Tevin Jones since last year. I saw flashes in him when he took over for Shaq. He just couldn't seem to string two games together last year. Hopefully he can do that uh, this week against Calgary. But think of this, the two top receivers that we thought were going to be of this offense were going to be KSB and Darrell Walker. And that offense just looked lights out anyway. When we get those guys back, I don't know what other teams are going to do. It's really funny when you look at it, you know, Alex, you were high on Sean Bain Jr. before the season. Greg, you were high on uh, on Tevin Jones. I'd love to sit here and say I predicted Sam Emelis would go off. I don't think anybody saw that game from him. You knew there would be growth in his second year, but to come out of the gates on fire like that was, was fantastic. Um, he was the biggest shock to me offensively from that receiving group. You expected Tevin Jones to have a good game here or there. Sean Bain showed last week. He's a solid receiver. This was, uh, you know, this was Emelis's showing up party. He he came out in a big way and, and lit it up. And it only means good things for this offense going forwards. Well, and especially when you think about all the injuries that the Riders have, especially now at receiver, Darrell Walker's out. KSB is out. We know Jawan Breskison uh, left last game, probably not going to be playing this week. And uh, Braden Lenius as well, too. So they needed a Canadian to step up and really just kind of, you know, solidify that spot and, and grab a hold of it. And I didn't expect Sam Emelis to be that guy. And to get a hat trick of touchdowns, like, are you kidding me? That's, I mean, that was wonderful to see. 
And I hope this is just scratching the surface for him. Obviously, he's not going to be getting three touchdowns a week. But if he can just continue that growth and show that he can be a legitimate, you know, one, two or a three receiver, then all of a sudden, you know, these guys start getting healthy. You get Braden Linius back, you get KSB back, you get Darrell Walker back. That offense is going to be scary good uh, going into the later part of the season. So, I mean, seeing all these guys just break out was was exactly what they needed. Uh, obviously, didn't get the win, but there are positives to take out of that. And, I mean, they hung with Winnipeg. Winnipeg has a good defense. It's not like they have a bad defense. And to put up that many points and, I mean, ultimately... The team just ran out of gas is what happened. They played on a short week, two days less rest than Winnipeg had. And I think that's what it was in the fourth quarter. It was just after that punt return uh, by Janarian Grant, which was incredible. Um, and then the flag. And then, oh, no, just kidding. There isn't a flag after review, which the Bombers got extremely lucky on that because with all the injuries that the Riders got, especially on special teams, it was someone down on the I, I forget which player it was. Milligan. It was Roland Milligan. It was Roland Milligan. Um, on the ground. That allowed the bombers extra time to look and stare at their iPad and look for illegal blocks. And you could see sitting in the stadium that they had the the camera on uh Mike O'Shea and his uh his other coach that was looking at it, and the other coach looked at his iPad. And said, right there, that's the play. That's the block. And then they challenged it. Sure enough, they won it. And, I mean, that took all the gas out of the riders. And and that was the end right there. The CFL really needs to adopt the same rule as the NLL has when it comes to replay. You have 60 seconds from the end of the play. It doesn't matter if the face-off's gone or whatever. 60 seconds, once once the play is done, like in the NLL, obviously, it's goals. So once the goal's in... You have 60 seconds from them to throw the throw the flag. The fact that they had an injury timeout, TV timeout, and then still got 20 seconds once the play got whistled in, like that was an, an like so much time for them to actually go through the play. And yeah, and yes, great block. I I can't believe there was what 10 missed tackles on that play. Like the Riders did that to themselves, but it's just. Yeah, there should not have been that long of chance to look at that over and over and over again. I don't think there's another sport other than football where you have an unlimited amount of time like that to to look for reviews. Hockey, hockey, you have, is it a minute, 30 seconds? There's baseball, you have a very specific amount of time. NLL, like you mentioned, and football, it's until the next snap. That could be 30 seconds, that could be five minutes and it's just it I'm, I'm with you on that no matter what way that play goes it's a horrendous waste of time to to kill and it kills what was a good play and now it's it's become about the challenge and the delay and the weight and one of one of a few headaches the cfl needs to work on as well as defensive pass interference in the end zone because i'm still not sold on that play myself, but whatever. Um, the Riders defense this game. Do you attribute like I, I let's be honest, they were they weren't that good. Um, they started the game actually really, really well and then just fell flat 
going into the you know second, third, and fourth. What do you guys just put that all on on the short week? Because they got no pressure. The only time they got close to Zach Kolaros was the the hail mary at the end of the first half when Pete Robertson uh, got the sack there. The defense just seemed invisible. I think the biggest thing wasn't so much the short week. It was the injuries they took throughout the game. They were missing Corte Moore. They were missing Jaden Dalkey. I think at one point they said there were six or seven guys that were, uh, that were in the locker room from a starting roster of 44. That's a, that that's a big chunk of your players. Even if you're getting into depth guys, that hurts. And I think that played a role later into the, into the game. And, why you saw them falter as as the game went on and why the fourth quarter was a, a gong show. I'd say that played more to more into it than the short week. And the injuries definitely helped Winnipeg out. Like Dalkey not being at safety moved Lacombo over there. And Lacombo is not as physical as Dalkey was. And that's why you had Shen coming over to the middle, basically being untouched until he was past the uh down marker. Um, I think it was Dalkey would have played him a lot tighter than uh, Lacombo was. All that stuff affects how the game goes. And yeah, they just kind of ran out of gas and ran out of live bodies. So I don't think that's the defense that we're going to be seeing obviously throughout the year. It might be the defense we see this week against Calgary, just with the amount of guys that are on the injured list. We'll talk about that when we preview the game. Um, but the most important thing about that game, and I got to get you guys' opinion on this. Um, how was Kim Mitchell? Did you, Steve? That's your guy, right? You know what? Kim Mitchell rocked. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and say he was terrible. And I never once said anything bad about Kim Mitchell. I just said he wasn't the act to bring anyone else into the stands. But the the twenty six thousand that were there probably enjoyed it. I just don't think anybody there was like. I'm going to sit through three hours of football to watch 15 minutes of Kim, Kim Mitchell. Well, I made my, he did. He put on a good show, but like I uh, DM you guys during the show, I'm like, you think if they would have got a Kim Mitchell uh, cover band, anyone would have been the wiser? Cause you're right. Like it was, it was good. Sounded okay. They still haven't figured out the acoustics to mosaic stadium yet. I don't think, but, um, once again, not for me. I would rather listen to Wide Mouth Mason for 15 minutes because technically speaking, if you want to get dads, you think it would be people our age with young who want to bring young children to the game, not our dads who are going to drag us to the game. So, Well, I will tell you that my mom absolutely loved the show and the best part about the whole Kim Mitchell thing and going to the game with my mom. So th- that was her big thing was I-, I take her to a game every year. This is the one that she wanted to go to so she could rock out to Kim Mitchell. Uh, her words. Um, I don't rock out to Kim Mitchell. I don't rock out to anybody. I'm not cool enough to do that. Um, but she said with about three minutes left in the, in the second quarter, she goes, she passed me um, some money and said, would you mind go getting me, you know, a bottle of Coke or whatever at, at halftime. I don't want to miss Kim, Kim Mitchell. And then it dawned on me. She's literally making me go for a soda so she doesn't miss <laughs> Kim Mitchell. And that was, to me, that was just the funniest thing. Okay, here's the question. She should have followed up with go for a soda so no one gets hurt. Uh, well, nobody did get hurt. Nobody died. And no it was died. better than slander. So I think it all worked out pretty well. <laughs> 
Steve hates us right now. See, people, these are the faces we're talking about when me and Alex kind of go off our own merry way. <laughs> um, I'm so yeah, glad so, we're on YouTube now. <laughs> so you can so kind of can see your, here, right? Yeah. So you can scratch your, your, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say about that game. Um, it's hard to nitpick things. Um, when that was really just a team that got gassed at the end and they held their own throughout the whole way. And, and what that game really did prove to me was that they can compete with the Winnipeg blue bombers. The bombers are still the class of the CFL. And this team showed that when Trevor Harris is on, they're a top tier team. And I don't think a lot of people put the riders in the top tier. I guess really that top tier is really just Winnipeg and BC, uh, but the riders are right there with them. And if they can get that same kind of offensive performance later on in the year, I think this team's laughing um, and they should put up a really good fight going into the playoffs and in the playoffs. So I don't, I don't take away a lot of negative from this game. Um, I'll, I'll save that for, for this Calgary game. But again, the, uh, the, the injuries are just piling up and we're going to talk about that. Um, I mean, with the guys that they're bringing back, bringing back, Rodney Smith uh, running back because Frankie Hickson got hurt and, and is probably not going to be playing this week. Um, they signed, you know, Canadian depth players, Kosi Onyeka, who's going to be back. Um, the linebacker from Montreal that just got released, Brian uh, Harold Laminia. I I don't remember seeing him. And everyone said he played great last year for, for Montreal. And I honestly, it just, it doesn't ring a bell to me, but it's a guy that can come in and play special teams this week. And that's exactly what they're going to need. And Canadians too. Yeah. So they bring those guys back, um, bring them in. They'll probably play plus the return of Colin Kelly. Who's eligible to play. Sounds like he's going to be playing at right tackle and Gerald Hawkins returned back to the team, the, the team's preseason um, or training camp. Anyway, starting left tackle still hasn't played a snap yet. And, Sounds like he's going to start at left tackle. So um, before we talk about those guys, we'll talk about the guys that they're replacing. Brandon Council and Eric Lofton at tackles. Did you guys see anything out of those two guys that maybe warrants them getting benched? Because I don't think they were that bad. I mean, they weren't all-stars by any means, but I don't think they played that poorly. I think Lofton played better than Council, but it wasn't like they were terrible. Like it, it wasn't like they had a coin slot on their head and were turnstiles. Like maybe though I'm setting the bar low after last year's uh, debacle. I don't know, but uh, Trevor Harris was relatively clean all game. So well, I said last week that council got bullied a little bit, uh, at least in the first half and kind of put it together. I don't really have an issue with their play in the second half, at least from a pass protection standpoint, run blocking has been, atrocious outside of the fourth quarter in Edmonton. They they can't seem to open a lane, but I'll take the pass protection over, you know, over anything right now. At least keep Trevor Harris healthy and happy and run the offense through him. But they need a they need a running game going forwards. So hopefully the new guys can bring that. Does that surprise you at all? Because even last year the the run blocking, even though the offensive line was awful at pass protection, the run blocking was there. They just didn't get the chance because Jason Moss refused to run the ball. Are you guys surprised this year so far in two games that one, they're not really trying to run the ball uh, with Kelly Jeffrey as the OC, the former running backs coach, uh, but also with 
you know, four or three brand new guys on the line. Or here's a theory. Maybe the other teams last year were surprised we were running and it threw them off guard because it was a Jason Moss offense. Um, I don't know. Um, I think, I think the first couple of games are trying to get Trevor Harris's feet wet for, he played one series in the preseason. Like he, he needs his live rounds and, I think as as we get closer to the colder weather, I think that's when they're really going to open up the uh, running game because nothing opens a running game like everyone expecting you to pass and vice versa. So hopefully they can figure get a good balance in there. I mean, you're not going to win a lot of football games when a Trevor Harris is your leading rusher and b he's your leading rusher with 23 yards. I mean, that's not a good look. That's not what we want to see, and I don't think that's what we're going to see. As we get, like Greg said, further down into the season. But I'm absolutely shocked. I mean, we brought in our running backs coach as our offensive coordinator. Who has decided to not run the ball. It just seems odd. I'm hoping it's one of those, you know, like you said, get get Trevor Harris moving, get him going. And then incorporate the run game as you go. Or maybe it's just they don't have faith in the guys they have on the line to run block. And we've seen that that is an issue. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe they know where their where their strengths are and are playing to them. Well, I expect them to run a lot more uh, against Calgary here uh, because I don't think their defense is particularly played that well. I think they can exploit a couple spots there. Uh, we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Um, Right now, it should just be actually wrapping up as we do this show. The Riders are having their AGM, um, basically just talking dollars and cents, um, posted a $7.1 million profit from last year. Of course, that's a big help thanks to the Grey Cup. Um, but the big takeaway from that to me is, is that, um, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that they did was compared to 2019, which was the last full season. Um and I mean, ticket sales are, I think they said season ticket sales are down 10% from, from there. Um, I guess that's kind of par for the course around the league. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, but they lost $8 million uh, from not playing the 2020 season. And they've made that back over the last couple of years and then some. So people are out there, they're spending their money. They're still, you know, the riders are still making money, which is a great thing. And of course, now that revenue sharing is a thing uh, again in the CFL, you need years like this where teams are posting huge profits like this to you know keep everybody afloat. So ultimately, that's also uh, really good news from the riders and the CFL. Oh, definitely, especially when you look at last year's uh, last year's ticket sales, just the casual sales. That's like everyone was commenting on they were announcing tickets sailed or tickets distributed or they would never actually say how many butts were in the seats. And then which actually looking at the game the other night, I was impressed because of all the fears going into that week and everyone like basically counting blue dots on Ticketmaster. There was actually a lot more people there than I expected. It was actually a decent crowd. And uh but yeah, going forward, it's good to see the riders are still profitable because there was after that pandemic, everyone was 
and don't get me wrong, we're probably still in the pandemic, but everyone was panicking about the future of the CFL and what was going to happen because it was the the end is nigh. So it's good to see the Riders made a decent profit last year, even though it is great cup inflated. Well, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. Uh, let's get to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones as I'm sitting here with a Churchill. Um, I have the blonde lager going on right now. I, I, that's exactly oh. what I'm drinking too in mine. Cheers to to you boys. I went with I'm the fancy red. though. I, I'm fancy though because I got I shouldn't have done that against Calgary. That's poor planning well, on my part. You, you heard it here first. The writers lose at Steve's fault. Yes. I'll take that one. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, other games from last week, which have uh, huge storylines uh, going through. Um, Edmonton gets shut out in BC. Taylor Cornelius was absolutely awful. And that's the last thing this league needs is to have God awful quarterback play. And the fact that Chris Jones didn't pull him at any point in that game was beyond me, especially in a league where when you fail, they give you a mercy point. Like they give you, they give you a pass right? Like they, they give you a point for missing a field goal and they couldn't even do that. So for Edmonton, is it time to look at a new quarterback? Trey Ford was their it was last year until he got hurt. And then Taylor, Taylor Cornelius kind of strung a couple of games together last year. I, I don't understand what Chris Jones obsession is with corn pop. I don't get it. Like he's not good. He, I, when I was on, I, I subbed in for Joel Gasson last night on uh, on the Greencast for three down, and I called him the White Michael Bishop, and I thought Frazier was going to pee himself because he he's the White Michael Bishop. He's got a hell of an arm, can run around, but he is inaccurate as anyone. It is brutal. I really hope Chris Jones sticks with Cornelius for exactly three more weeks after this one. Get him through the game here in Regina and then switch. I I don't know how you can watch what he's done through the first two weeks and look at the tape and go, yep, that's our future right there. That's the guy that's going to lead us to the cup. There's a reason I left the Elks off of my power rankings this week. You don't score a point in the CFL. You don't belong on the power rankings. There are high school teams I was considering putting above the Edmonton Elks at this point. <laughs> Like it's it's just it's embarrassing that you how do you do that? How do you actually manage to score zero points? Just it, I and how do you look at Cornelius and and continue on with him? Especially when Ford had success last year. Ford looked good coming out of the gates. It's 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 mind blowing and I hope Chris Jones doesn't change his mind. I really don't. I really do, but I, I just find it hilarious that if you look at last year, the Elks go into BC, get their doors blown off of them, and then they go back to BC and get the doors blown off of them again. And it, and I kind of feel bad because I'm rooting for Victor Quee to turn that team around, but it's really it's really hard to get butts in the seats when you can't put up points on the board. So I don't know how they go forward after this. Like they're going to have to do guaranteed point night at this point, not even guaranteed win night. 
Well, I feel bad for their defense because their defense has actually played pretty well. They played the Riders really tough. The, uh, I know it was, you know, shut out against BC, but they held them to field goals. Like when you're doing that against a high powered offense, like BC does have, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, so they were, they were doing really well, but it's, it's all on the quarterback and they're talking about how they have so much talent on offense and that they can't let this happen. I'm still looking for that talent outside of a couple guys. I don't think they have a lot there. And that seems to be, you know, the, the main Chris Jones thing. We saw that here in Saskatchewan defense was great. Um, offense was a question mark at times, um, in his tenure. Um, but like, I don't even know who's available. Uh, if they wanted to, a lot of people are speculating about a trade. Oh, well, they're going to trade for Matthew Schiltz. Well, I guarantee you Matthew Schiltz is not available right now after uh, injury to Bo Levi Mitchell. Um, but I don't know who else is out there. Ryder fans are saying Jake Dolagala. I don't know really know why Edmonton want, would want to go after him um, without trying what they have in their stable first. But I don't know who what, else what's, is, what's is available. But what's the return? What are you a going to get? round draft pick. Yeah, and, the, and why, and why would, would the make... Riders give anything up? Why would the Riders give up talent to a rival at their weakest position when they could just watch them flounder all season? If I'm if I'm uh, um, O'Day, I'm looking at that call display if Chris Jones comes a call and, and and howling with laughter and then hanging up. You don't help a division rival unless you absolutely have to. And the only and the only way you entertain it is if they give you a ton in return, like it, it has to be like a four to one trade for you to actually even consider it. And even then, I wouldn't like, do it. So all Chris Eugene Jones Lewis is do, already upset. So all Chris Jones has to do is hire Eric Tillman um, to make a bad trade for them, but except it'll be getting the quarterback, not giving it away for like a punter or something, right? I'm trying to think who Edmonton's ever really hammered on a trade. Usually it's the other way around. I know Ryder's best trades are usually with Hamilton. But yeah, I can't think of anyone where Edmonton won a trade before. Not in recent memory anyway. Um, mentioned Bo Levi Mitchell and his injury. Um, Matthew Schultz going to start uh, this week for the Ticats. Levi Mitchell sounds like it's week to week. He's going to be out uh, maybe a couple anyway. Is he done? I know a lot of people were saying he was done before. Is this like not the beginning of the end, but like the middle of the end for Bo Levi Mitchell? Um, if I was outside, I'd pour one out for him because, but I'm in my office. Uh, I think it's Bo I really do. Um, I, I, it, it sucks to watch a, a uh, player of his caliber go out like this. He just looks not good. And I don't know if it's injuries. I don't know if it's age, but like he's king of the um, end zone interception this year. Like Hamilton should be putting points on the board. Instead, he's throwing touchdown. He's throwing uh, balls to the wrong team. I think it's a, a big combination of injuries and age. You know, he hurt his shoulder a few years back. I don't think that he's ever really truly recovered from it. And now you look at him and add in hip or groin or whatever lower body injury he suffered this past week. Now you're limiting his mobility on top of his ability to throw the ball. That's a, that's not a good combination. 
I I think it is coming up on the end. And like you said, it you know, we were we were pro Bo Levi Mitchell. Alex obviously his biggest fan. The jersey would see that. a guy like that succeed. It absolutely would. We want to see a guy like that succeed. You hate to see a Hall of Fame quarterback go out to injury, but at some point he's got to look and and wonder if those paychecks are worth more injuries. Well, and I'm curious what Hamilton's thinking about this because uh, they're hosting the Great Cup. They go all in. They bring in you know a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and by week three you're already turning into Matthew Schultz. Obviously, that's because of injury. But when you look at the first couple games, I think Bo Levi Mitchell in the first game against Winnipeg was trying to prove that his shoulder was fine because he was airing it out. He had receivers open. He was just overthrowing them. Um, so, I mean, to me, that, that that's just timing with a new team. You'll figure that out you know, over a couple of weeks. Uh, so I don't think it's the shoulder so much anymore. Uh, but it was the decision-making. And like Greg said, he's throwing interceptions in the end zone. That's not something Bo Levi Mitchell ever does. And that's what he did against Toronto a couple times. It was just poor decisions. And to me, that's the big worry if I'm Hamilton, is that he was able to move the ball pretty decently in that game against Toronto. But anytime they got close to the end zone, interception, interception. And then if Toronto takes that back for a touchdown uh, on the next drive, which they did, that's such a big momentum killer, a 14 point swing. Like that's, that's the game right there. Uh, so to me, if I'm Hamilton, I'm looking at those decisions that he's making and that's what I'm talking to him about. It's not so much when you're ready to go uh, with your lower body injury, quad, hip, groin, whatever it is. We got to talk about where you're throwing it and what you're doing on the field. Because if you're not going to be making good decisions, Matthew Schiltz, who looked pretty good in that game, granted garbage time, maybe you turn to him. Um, and the opposing quarterback in that game, Chad Kelly, I will have to say, I admit, at least for one game only, a small sample size, I was wrong. I'm not a big Chad Kelly fan, and this goes back to his days with the Denver Broncos. Um I just don't think he takes the CFL seriously enough. But that uh, game... He, he, he made it very obvious he doesn't take the CFL seriously. Well, I mean, when you go on every podcast and you complain about your contract and whatnot, I mean, that kind of says it all to me. But he looked very good in that game. And he looked he looked in control. He looked like a leader. And to me, that's the big thing. And if... I mean, Toronto has a really good roster around him if he can just not turn the ball over and they can do what they did on offense against Hamilton, they're going to run through the East. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, a very rough sailing for them. Um, pun clearly intended there. Um, being the boatman, Steve, I know you were trying to piece that together. I, I, I got that. One. I got that one. <laughs> All right. Um, With the dirty oars. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he looked good. And in a place like Toronto where the, league needs more eyes and more fans if you can get swag kelly which i hate that nickname but hey whatever works if if that's what they get then i'm all for it and i'm happy and i'm more than happy to be wrong about him so if that's the chad kelly we're gonna get i hope we see more of it can i just say i hate that all blue look the more i see it the more i hate it it's it's terrible i don't care if everyone else likes it i hate it but I like the Cambridge blue. 
not Cambridge blue. <laughs> uh, that is scuttle blue. We've already been over this. Um, but no, it's, I'm, I, I feel better about the Argos and what they've been doing lately. Um, you look at that AJ Ouellette video of him at the wrestling match. Awesome. Like, like that thing went viral and it, it was just, it was just ridiculous. And with that Kentucky waterfall, he looks like he should be a wrestler. Like that, that is a, that we're talking like a 19, uh, like eighties, big John stud type mullet. Like that is impressive mullet, but it, it's good to see the Argos are out there doing stuff and this, their social media stuff has really been killing it. I hopefully it breaks through because the league is as strong as, as strong as its weakest market right now. It still is Toronto. You know, not to toot my own horn, but I, I predicted Toronto would come out and dominate the East. In fact, I put them as high as second in my power rankings after a bye week and moving them up. A decision that I know Greg absolutely loved. <laughs> but the, I don't feel like they have a whole lot of competition out there right now. You know, with Montreal, we don't, we don't know what we've got yet. Maybe that offense will look better as Cody Fajardo gets comfortable running into other teams' defensive linemen instead of... You know, sorry, a uh, little PTSD on that one. Um, but we know what Ottawa is. They are who we think they are. It, it's a battle between Toronto and Hamilton. And if Hamilton doesn't have a quarterback, <laughs> then what, you know, they, they're going to win it, want it, run it through by default. It's really that simple. But I do agree having somebody with some, some confidence and some swagger is good for the Toronto market and having somebody with relations to, you know, hall of fame bills quarterback in the market right next door can't hurt. You know, we've seen the the motion from Toronto down to Buffalo for game day. Maybe Kelly's the kind of guy that could bring some of that back up, go on the other direction. Just, just for the name. He's probably in the perfect market for him. Yeah, that'd be great to see, and hopefully they they continue on with that. Um, also, why did we give Greg toys? I don't know. For, this was a bad decision. I told you from the get go we shouldn't have brought him on. <laughs> that was how many years ago? Oh God damn it! <laughs> I was waiting for that actually. The Chris Trevler's, uh tickers and banners and whatnot. <laughs> um, for those only listening, it says Chris Trevler rocks on the bottom of the screen here. So on a scrolling ticker. Yeah. Um, now I, I know Steve, you didn't really want to get into this. Uh, Greg, you, you wanted to bring it up. I, I was, I didn't know what I wanted to say on this, um, but we're going to talk about the elephant in the room here and um, it's John chick. Um, so obviously with uh, legends night and Plaza of honor inductees later in the year, they're going to bring in, guys from the 2013 Grey Cup team to celebrate and whatnot. Um, John Chick goes on Twitter again, and or sorry, on Facebook, whatever it was, um, and talks about how the league changed their their logo to the Pride logo and whatnot. Um, we, we, we don't need to get into it. It's, it's no, it's no, terrible no. stuff. Um, but there was news stories done about it in the comments you can imagine exactly what the comments were. And yes, that's exactly what the comments were. Um, but from a writer's standpoint, is this something you want to 
have interfere either positively or negatively, I won't say either way, um, for Legends Night. If you're Craig Reynolds, what's the better outcome for you? Bringing John Chick in? Because he was a huge part of that 2013 Great Cup team. Or do you just ignore him completely? And here's and this is where we were kind of talking about this in the DM. There's no right answer, unfortunately. There's no way from a business, from a moral standpoint, there's a very obvious answer. From a business standpoint, there's there's going to be a lot of people weighing the pros and cons of bringing him in. Because if you bring him in, we're going to talk about it because at no point do I think the writers should even acknowledge him. And they actually went out of their way saying he hasn't played for us in eight years. We're not commenting on this when they were asked about it. So they're keeping him as arm's length as much as possible. But on a night where you honor the 2013 team, and if you don't invite him, he's going to say something about it, which is going to create an absolute crap storm that I don't know if the writers want to deal with. Here's the thing to me. I think John Chick made it easy for the writers not to invite him because with his post, he not only crapped all over the league, he crapped all over the writers and their image with the with both teams putting up those logos. He basically gave the middle finger to his former employee. If I'm Craig Reynolds and the writers, I look at that and go, I don't care how important you were to this team. You you knock the team publicly like that and crap all over them and insult the team and the logo and what it stands for. You have no business representing it. And that's that's what he did. If you reread his words, it wasn't just the league, it was the team. So there's an out there. there and I, I get the other side of it. Because you're right, if he's not invited, he's going to keep talking. But the more he talks, the more that becomes an echo chamber because the people that are that disagree have started to tune him out, and it's all going to be people of similar beliefs. And frankly, you're, you're never going to change that. You're never going to change those minds. They're set in their ways. So if he wants to, to rant to them that he wasn't invited go hard here's my problem though it's not the usual and screw it, i'm going to say call it call it the way i said it the mouth breathers there's these people out there who think they need to be the loudest people in the room to get their point across problem is you can see slowly by slowly mainstream's picking up on it and amplifying it global ran that story and they did people on the street interviews and I'm like, Awful why? Decision. Awful decision. Terrible decision. Rod Peterson fired a shot across the bow saying basically if John Chick is bugging you, it's a men- it basically said it's your mental strength. Hi, Rod. Thanks. Th- thanks for reading my tweets. But so when you got Roddy putting it out there and you know going into that game, if Chick says something crazy, at least one of the two local sports shows is going to pick it up. 
that's not good for anybody. That's my problem. The louder these people get, the more attention they get. If Chick's not at the game, I guarantee you there's going to be some idiots outside the stadium trying to protest it. Just because. They need to be seen. They need to be the loudest people in the room. It's... It's a t- I, I, I don't envy the riders on what they're going to do. Like I said, there's a there's an easy decision in my mind, but I, I can see from their point of view how it's probably not that easy. Craig Reynolds is a very smart man, and he has a lot of integrity, and I'm pretty sure that the conversation wasn't a very long one. But he does need to weigh both sides of it, pros and cons. And basically, like you guys said, there it's a... It's a lose-lose situation. There's no winning here. Um, he has to pick which side um, gives him the least backlash, I think. Um, but ultimately, his job is to protect the brand and do what's best for the team. And with what you've seen out of the team um, off the field over the last six, seven months since the calendar year uh, basically flipped, they've done a lot of great stuff. And I can't imagine um, they would risk that by by bringing John back. Um, so I just I, I can't see it happening. Um, maybe they get him to do a quick minute long Zoom speech that they can record, and if they have to edit, however they feel like. Um, maybe that's what they do, and it's it, it ends up being long, and all it ends up being is hi, I'm John Chick. Well, it could be a 10 second <laughs> thing. Hey guys, uh, it's John Chick. Love that 2013 team. Thanks for the you know the recognition and the plaza of honor, um, you know, or the celebration for Legends Night. Like it might end up being just that. Um, so maybe that's the route that they go. Um, I don't know. I we. we... I think it could all be kind of overshadowed though, if they're able to convince Darian Durant to show up, if they convince Darian Durant to show up, because that's the person that people want to see because he hasn't been here in, you know, six years. Uh, he is actually coming to the egg in motion uh, in Saskatchewan later on in the, in the, that's mid July, I think. Um, but he is coming back to Saskatchewan. Um, they can convince him to come back again in September when this night is, um, That'll overshadow everything because that's the only person people want to see. We've had Weston Dressler back. We've had Rob Bag back. We've had all these guys back. Um, G. Roy Simon will be here, um, I'm sure. Um, if you can't get Darian Durant. I, I really wonder. I really wonder if Darian Durant upgraded his first class or his ticket to first class with the money he took for the Bombers, though. That, that'd be the uh, the right way to do coming back to Saskatchewan. Just saying. For- for that, you put him in the plaza twice. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, still no word on who's actually going in the plaza this year, which makes me think that uh, they're still trying to nail down getting Darian Durant here because he has to get in. Has to. Like we said before, if you get Darian, you put him in as an individual, and you, you also honor the team. If you can't get Darian, you just honor the team and just show a lot of clips of Darian carrying that team that year. Yeah, absolutely. Just play the fourth quarter of the, the West semifinal against BC. Of oh, the BC game? Just play that. Yeah, just play that. That's all oh, we need to see. Called... I, I think I still got frostbite from that game. <laughs> that was the toughest part of that Grey Cup run. 
It was. It really, truly it was. was. Um, well, on the team that they beat in the West final, the Calgary Stampeders. Well, that's the game coming up this week, Saturday at 5 o'clock. Let's take a look at that game, guys. Um, for Calgary's side of it, no Kadeem Carey. He's on the six-game Thank injury. God. With a toe injury. I hate, to see, <laughs> I, mean, I hate to see a player injured, but he destroys us every game. So that's that's good news for the defense. Um, lots of changes to the Calgary O-line as well as the Riders O-line this season. Um, I wonder if that's the best way for the Riders to kind of exploit the the Calgary offense. Um, if they can get pressure on Jake Mayer, I am not sold on Jake Mayer. I don't care that he put up 29 points against the Ottawa Red Blacks. It was in Ottawa. That was a guaranteed win night. I don't care. He looked very average. Sure, he had a lot of passing yards. Reggie Bagleton had a fantastic game, but Bagleton took a lot of short intermediate catches and turned him upfield and made big time plays. That was a Reggie Bagleton game. That was not a Jake Mayer game. Bagleton I think this guy is today. I think this guy's average at best. I really do. And even then, I don't think he's that at best. On a scale of Taylor Cornelius to Zach Caleros, where does Jake Mayer fit right now? Oh, good question. <laughs> Be a good article for later this week. Let's rank Cleo, the Cleo Lemon. starting quarterbacks. Oh, Cleo we're going Lemon. Cleo, Cleo yeah. Lemon, the only quarterback so bad that when I listened to the Montreal feed of a Ryder game once, the hometown uh, uh, announced team was actually crapping all over him. I don't see it with Jake Mayer. I just don't. And I know maybe that's comparison coming in, you know, replacing Bo Levi Mitchell. But even then, like, I, I just don't see it. I think he's very, very. And, and I mean, that's a problem all across pro football is just very average quarterbacks. And, and that's a big time issue with only a handful of truly elite guys in the NFL as well, too, outside of, you know, the top five. They're all kind of average. And, and to me, that's, you know, what Jake Mayer is in the CFL. But if you can get pressure on him anyway, uh, getting back to the main point, because the Riders defense did not get any pressure at all on Zach Claros. If they can get pressure on Jake Mayer, to me, that's that's a big thing for the Riders defense, especially with all the injuries to the secondary. <coughs> Damn live show. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Well, if Greg dies, we'll uh, just keep moving on because it's a live show. Um, yeah, good, good, good luck. But on the uh, flip editing. side, he's the one doing the recording. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. One of us has to go over there and record and, and stop the recording <laughs> and check on him, I guess. Just step over my body. Uh, yeah. Kick you to the side. We got it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to the point um, getting pressure on Jake Mayer. Um, the Riders' defense has a lot of injuries in this one. We're going to see Jackson Ford. Uh, likely getting the start at safety. Um, no um, Jaden Dalkey, no Anthony Lanier, no Roland Milligan over the first couple of days of practice. So who knows? I mean, a lot of injuries to that defense. So if they can get pressure on them, to me, that's going to be the key. Why is it every year our sixth game or our injured list comes out of the gate longer than santa's naughty list like it's insane to me that we seem to get hurt consistently all year long i i'd love to look back and see man games lost over the last five years 
and figure where the the riders fit on that scale because I bet you it's pretty close to the top. But to to be without Dalkey, without Milligan, Lanier, that's you're missing three, four quality starters. And yet, to me, the biggest change is going to be, or the biggest factor is going to be our O-line's ability to get that run blocking. You've got, you've got the new guys in, in Hawkins and, and Kelly. What are they going to bring to the table that allows this offense to continue to excel and keep that defense off the field and keep them, you know, not exhausted? That's the key to me. These Calgary games are always interesting. Like it sounds like uh, Calgary's moving a ton of tickets, which means there's a lot of probably it's going to be the old Christmas tree game. I'm very interested to see what this Calgary team is because I've been banging the drum for how many seasons now that Calgary's taken a step back, and I don't know what to do with myself if this is actually true. The uh, the old Barry Horowitz, yeah. Uh, yeah, Greg's right. gonna be I, the next one on the on the six game list from shoulder injuries from patting himself on the back. I hurt myself in my kids' uh, flag football practice last night, so <laughs> I can only imagine. It was parents versus kids, and I went for a flag, and next thing you know, I'm on the ground rolling. Um, I was almost on the six game, but yeah, no, our injury list is nuts. But it's good to see Moncrief back. It's good to see Nick Marshall back. Um, Jackson Florida safety, that's interesting. I'm looking I forward don't... to that because normally you don't see a guy, you know, pure even rookie. a second-round pick, rookie. pure rookie starting in his third game. Um, usually takes a few weeks of, of rotating in and out. Um, but to me, the big thing is, is that he jumped Nelson Lacombo. He jumped Godfrey Onyeka on the depth chart. This is... This is the guy that they have in, you know, planning to be possibly the the starting safety maybe next year uh, and shifting Dalkey around and having, you know, a bit more of a rotation or, or giving Dalkey a, a starting spot somewhere else. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Jackson Ford um, and how he does in this game. The, the kid uh, I'm is, excited, uh, terrified to see him. <laughs> excited, terrified? Is that like scaroused? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, but yeah, he's, he's rider royalty, right? Like I, I, I don't envy this kid and the pressure on him because of who his grandfather was. Um, heavy is the head that wears the crown. So this should be interesting. Uh, one other thing I'm looking forward to in this game is these receivers for the riders, these new stud receivers that they have with Tevin Jones, Sam Emelis, um, Sean Bain Jr. revenge game maybe for him uh, going back against the Stamps. Um, the Calgary secondary honestly hasn't really looked that good to me. Uh, they got exploited by BC in week one and again, Ottawa last week, whatever they did last week, I take nothing out of that. But I don't think they've looked that good. So if Trevor Harris is on again, which you have every reason to assume that he will be, I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys do for an encore and just think Jake Winicky, um could have had a monster game last week as well. Um, missed a couple deep ones that he probably should have had and mm-hmm. connect on a couple of those with him. 
and he's the fourth receiver right now. So, I mean, if you can get those guys going again, this offense can absolutely pick these guys apart. And I, I wonder I, how many I really want to see what they can do. I wonder how many people started MLS this week in fantasy because he's what what seven thousand. Like he's he's a good value pick. I know I took him. I took Sean Bain Jr. the first uh, the first two weeks on on Alex's suggestion. So should I should I start Emilis? What do you think? Who, who's the guy, Alex? Going to put you on the spot? Oh, geez, watch it'll probably be uh, <laughs> Mitch Picton in this game. Um, <laughs> I, I I really actually do like um, Tevin Jones in this one. Just actually, it could be Picton. Could be Picton. He's he's very much the uh, uh, the new Regina kid that's going to destroy Calgary. We need at least one of them. Be the new Chris Getzlaff. Yeah, yeah. With least offending views. <laughs> just just keep scoring those touchdowns. Just just do that. <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, but injuries sounds like uh, no Albert Awachi. Frankie Hickson's out. Jawan Braskison, we mentioned before. Jaden Dalkey. Uh, Nick Daly, uh, defensive end there. Lanier, Roland Milligan. Like these are some important players, even some good, you know, depth rotational special teams. Oh, and well, I was gonna say Daly, especially for special teams. That kid's a beast in yeah. specials. Uh, so, I mean, it might be just a, a makeshift crew. This roster when the when the depth chart comes out on Friday. Um, Usually you get an opportunity when somebody gets hurt. So this is just another opportunity for, for guys to step up and show what they have. So we'll see what happens there. Um, it's just it sucks seeing all those names, especially at the beginning of the year, uh, just after two games. So um, let's get to our pick this week. Talk about the games this week. The first game of the week to me is the game of the week. This is the real testing or the real test for the BC Lions. They go to Winnipeg to play the Blue Bombers, both teams 2-0. and um, I actually honestly forgot to look at spreads here, so I'm sorry, guys. I don't have them in front of me. Um, but BC, I, I will I'll get them for you. We'll take a look. Okay, you, you, you talk, and I'll tell you what it is. Give me a second. Um, so, like I said, this to, obviously to me is the the big test. Winnipeg, their defense has given up quite a bit, and BC's offense with Vernon Adams has been able to move the ball. Um, I'm not sure if Dominic Rhymes is playing. I think it was more of a precaution for him to be taken out of last week's game. But Lucky Whitehead and Keon Hatcher um, are making their returns soon anyway. I cannot believe this number. I'm not going to lie. Winnipeg. Six and a half? Yeah. Good, good really? job. Yeah. Oh. It's, it opened and it still is at six and a half. It opened at six and a half, still is six and a half. Okay, so. to me that's just going to be the base spot for Winnipeg until they lose a game, unless they're playing Ottawa or Edmonton, where it'll be thirty-six. I actually, I'm going to get right into it. I think BC is, is going to cover the number. I think they're going to lose, but I think they'll cover. Uh, they have said that Dominic Rhymes, at least last I heard, was out. If, oh yeah, he's if out. Rhymes oh, is yeah. in. Okay, yeah. Sorry, if Rhymes is cover. in, I like them. If rhymes if rhymes were in, I would I would take BC to at least cover the points, but that's a big piece of their offense. You know, despite him being the backup on the depth chart, he he is their their number one guy. That's a big hit. I I have to take Winnipeg in this one. 
Yeah, I think Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Winnipeg with the number two. Yeah, yeah. with Rams up. Uh, Montreal at Hamilton. This to me, this is this is a really interesting game because you have Matthew Schultz with Hamilton, uh, an zero and two Hamilton team that can't afford to lose another one. Um, yeah, their first two losses were against both Grey Cup teams from last year, and both were on the road. But with the Grey Cup at home, I know they've been slow starters the last couple of years, but this is. I don't want to say it's must win, but it's as close to that as possible for Hamilton. Guess the, guess the line where it opened and where it is now. Um, opened Hamilton minus three. Now it's Hamilton minus one. Uh, two and a half both. Huh. Has not moved. <laughs> I like Hamilton at that number. I... I think the team's going to be a lot better under uh, Schultz than under Bo. And yeah, Hamilton needs a win. So this is the one they're going to take. I I don't see this being a tough game for Hamilton uh, until Montreal shows me something. They're, they're going to be at the bottom of the power rankings for a reason. I got Hamilton by, and they cover. By the way, Austin Mack is a value pick at 4.5,000. Uh, 4. I mean, he was catching those deep balls from uh, from Cody Fajardo. Cody Fajardo, three and one against the Ticats in his career. Um, not enough to sway me on that, though. I'll I'll take Hamilton and the points, but I think that's going to be a close game. I don't think Hamilton's going to blow them out by any means. I think it'll stay. Oh yeah, it's it'll be a six point game, low scoring game, um, but they'll they'll pull it out at the end. Uh, Rider over under a number of sacks that Cody Fajardo takes. I'm putting the I'm, over under at five and a half. Over. I, I'm not on the pro, I'm not on the props, but yeah, it's definitely over. Yeah, <laughs> you put the number at ten. I'd probably bet the over. Um, Riders at Stamps. Guess it, where it started. Where it is. Started I'm Calgary guess five minus, and a half. Calgary so minus for the Riders. Calgary minus three and a half to start. Now it's four and a half. Uh, no, it started minus five and a half at Calgary for Calgary. And now Calgary's minus three and a half. So that means the riders are chipping away at it. Um, I, Wait, I know Calgary fact, at minus five and a half. Calgary's at minus five, started at minus five and a half. And they are still the favorite at minus three and a half. I am taking that number all day, every day. Riders, riders, riders. Yep. That is ridiculous. And they went outright. The Riders How? Win How have they looked at the first two games of the year and thought, you know, Calgary looks really good. We should pick. What? Riders started at plus 170 right. on the money line, and they're now plus 150. So I'm taking the money line, and I'll probably take the points just to cover. Just to, just to hedge my bet. <laughs> Yeah, the Riders win outright. No question in my mind. All right. And the final game of the week on Sunday night. And before, actually, before we get to that, I love this four games and four nights thing that we've been getting to start the season. I like these Sunday evening games. Um, it may not be best for, you know, travel, obviously, but look at Saskatchewan. Look how small or how short our summers are. You're probably going out to the lake. You're going out to the cabin. You're doing something, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. People are willing to come back on Sunday evening to come to a game at 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock, I guess it would be here in Saskatchewan. You're probably willing to come back for that. 
Whereas you're not coming back on a Saturday afternoon at two or five, because that ruins the entire weekend if you want to get out of town. So I like this. Um, Maybe it's better for, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, where, you know, a 12 hour drive is or round trip drive is nothing for people, but big cities are, you know, going out east. That's a, that's a big long trip. Um, I like them anyway. I think it's a great, great thing. I like I, I like four games and four nights better than I like a triple header. Those triple headers are a slog, and I love the CFL. But by the end of that third game, I'm I'm no more. I'm done. Yeah, give me four games and four nights any day. That's a that's a great new look. I hope they keep it at least until the NFL season kicks off. But great great new initiative. Uh, so the Sunday night game is Toronto at Edmonton. I know who we're all on on this one because it's another guaranteed win night for uh, not Edmonton. Um, I'd imagine the line starts somewhere around Toronto minus five. And where it is? Uh, Toronto minus seven. <laughs> you're you're right where it is at, but it started at six and a half. Like it uh, hasn't moved much. But yeah, so yeah, er- obviously everyone's on Toronto on this one. The they're not doing guaranteed win night again, are they? They're not going to keep on rolling this over. I think this is it, right? No, no, no. it's guaranteed that until they win. Yep. Oh, they are so screwed. It was only for a select or for certain sections. It wasn't any single ticket sold, but it's if you bought in those sections, if they don't win this week, it carries over to the third home game and the fourth and the fifth and this is. It is until they and win a home game. Basically, free season tickets. How great is that as a fan? <laughs> and they, well, they also sold a bunch of twelve to uh, what, twelve ninety uh, tickets. In I, one I was section. Too, actually, I was two sections. We'll bring that up. Uh, they, while they we're on that, actually, seconds. yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I, I thought I wanted to. And so, so Bell Media cut um, TSN twelve sixty in Edmonton. Uh, their twenty four hour sports show or sports station on am radio and that's just i mean bell media does this every couple of years they'll dump a bunch of their stations or try to sell them whatever um we can get into the politics about bell media off air sometimes um but the edmonton elks decided to do a section just twelve dollars and sixty cents come hang out with dustin nielsen and lieutenant eric producer eric and some of the other guys um who got let go from jobs basically middle um, of the show yeah with an hour left at 9 a.m uh, on, on, the, on their most popular well on their morning show yeah they legit came from commercial break on the top of the hour and read a statement and they were done but better than good riddance they better didn't good play riddance. good riddance by green day which they did last time when they cut their vancouver station um so i guess their bells meet bells learning a little bit um but um if i'm 6:30 ched the rights holders to edmonton elks broadcasts and the team's partner radio partner would you guys be like i'm debating whether i'd be upset about this or not because ultimately i think it's i think it's a great thing just get people in the stadium and we've seen this from victor quiamar doman um, just getting people in the seats, do different kind of promotions. I know it's a one-off thing. It's not a, a you know an every night thing, 
But if you're the rights holder, think of it here in Saskatchewan. Let's say CJME gets cut off. There goes the like $9.80 tickets. Jamie Nye's gone. Okay. That would be like the riders having 980 night tickets for $9.80. Do you think Harvard Media, Harvard Media with Paul Hill would allow that to happen? I don't think so. I don't think that would go over very well. So if you're what? Ched, does that bother you? I I think the the dregs, the on-air talent, the 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 people behind the scenes, like the the the, the ins and outs, probably get it and go good, like because that could be us in a, in a year. Because unfortunately, the way media has been over the last five years has been absolutely just bonkers. The people that control the money, though, are probably very pissed off. And the Elks probably got an earful about it. But then again, the Elks have a giant stadium that they need to fill. So who cares at that point? I I can't understand how they looked at that and thought that was a good marketing decision with, with their rights holders on board. Unless they went to Chad and said, hey, would you be okay with this? We want to show some love to, you know, some local Edmonton guys. But even then, it just seems like such an odd decision to market even a, you know, a a competitor that no longer exists. That was still their competition for quite some time. Just a a strange decision. Yeah. Ultimately, it's all about PR. There are ways to market that with... There are ways to market that with six with six thirty Ched. You know, yeah, you can't do six dollar and thirty cent tickets, but say, hey, they might be gone, but we've got six thirty. You know, buy a ticket, get a second one for six thirty. Do something like that and promote your actual rights holder, not but then, the dead competition. Th- then again, though, six thirty might also enjoy turning the screws over at Bell. Like it's just another example of something they did better than Bell did. But who knows? Well, but also, I mean, it is a PR thing. And I'm I'm sure that the Elks went to 630 and said, hey, let's do something. Because these are your friends as well, too. Like, it's not like they're, you know, Ron Burgundy versus, you know, the other stations I would in love, San Diego. Right? I would love to see um, Nielsen holding, like, a piano leg with Dave Campbell in an alley. Like, give me that all day. <laughs> I'm here also, for just that. A, just, just a trident. And then Campbell shows up with a trident. Let's, let's just see that. <laughs> um, who, who kills a guy? Yeah. Oh, uh, it'd be a Lieutenant Eric for sure. Um, it's a sassy. You bring a grenade? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I can see that. I, I, I would like to assume that Edmonton did go to Chad uh, and got the okay from them. And for Chad, it'd be bad PR for them to not do it. Um, and then something leak and them get backlash for not backing it. I mean, it's one game. If it was a long time thing, like if it was a season long type thing where each ticket is only 1260 and that's, you know, how it's going to be, then I'd think I'd step in. Um, it's also as one off, whatever. It's also one thing to move tickets in the stadium. It's not like Chad's going to mention it on the air. No. Like it, it, it was a good thing to, Hate to say, take advantage of a bad situation, and yeah, it kind of gives Nielsen a way 
the say, which is even funnier that he's still doing the CFL. He's still going to be doing the CFL play by play for Bell. Um, but yeah, it's just mind blowing that how heartless this industry can be sometimes. Um, but we're all in Toronto, right? Whatever the spread oh, yeah. is, we're all in Toronto, right? I, I, I would double the 100%. spread. Yeah. Uh, the over-under is 44. I think Toronto might get that by themselves. Well, they're not going to get any help from Edmonton on points scored, so no, they're going to have to do it themselves. But should be another good week of CFL action. There's some really good matchups, really intriguing ones, at least the first three anyway. Um, and then, I mean... Who knows? Any given Sunday, right? So we'll see what happens in that Toronto-Edmonton game. But Riders going on to a bye after that. So I'm, I'm, they, I hope they come out just guns a-blazing, giving absolutely everything they have because um, they got that bye week after, and you can heal some guys after that. Well, that's the Piffles podcast for this week. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks, as always, go out to Kathy Festion of Roy LePage, Regina Realty, and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. Check out the website, pifflespodcast.com. Of course, lots of stuff going up there all the time. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. We're at Piffles Pod on YouTube as well, too, if you're listening. So if you actually want to make fun of how we look by all means please do that but just make sure you uh listen i guess is where i'm going with that this is ghost behind your mind by tyler gilbert <laughs>